This morning, we want to continue in our series in the Psalms. And so we've entitled this series, Worship in Technicolor. And what we've said is we want to take the Psalms and we want to both pray the Psalms and sing the Psalms. We've talked a lot about singing the Psalms, worshiping God with the Psalms, that the Psalms are literally God's worship book. And at the same time, the Psalms are God's prayer book. The Psalms are God's prayer book. It's the place where we can pray to God. And this morning's message is entitled, Praying the Psalms. Praying the Psalms. And we're going to pray Psalm 10. So turn in your Bibles to Psalm 10. The Psalms are more than a well-written Hallmark card. I have two well-written Hallmark cards here in my hand. One from one of my children and the other one that I got for my wife, our anniversary. They're, they're, these cards are great, right? Well-written. This one is the story of Daddy and me. It's got a picture of a knight, his little knight son. It's got some great stuff in there. Um, the one I got for Desi, it says, the longer I love you, the more beautiful you are. These and, and, and someone did a good job of thinking these through. And I don't know about you, but, you know, you, you stand there and you're trying to find a card. And if, and if you're going for the pretty card or the funny cards, you know, you can see people laughing as they're reading them. But what makes this card special to me and what made this card special to my wife is not just the well-written part of it. But from my, one of my children, it's that little scribble that you can't read that personalized it to me. What made it special to my wife is my big scribble. <laughs> Sometimes I have to read it to her. She can't even understand my writing. But, but that's, that's the personalized part. The Psalms are a well-written hallmark card. Inspired by the Holy Spirit. This one was written by David 3,000 years ago. Very appropriate. Very well written. But what makes this psalm sing is when I add my handwriting to it and I map my experience onto this psalm. Then it comes alive. That's why God gave us the psalms. To sing them and to pray them. There are different psalms for different occasions. Anniversary. Birthday. A lot of you probably received graduation cards. But what makes them sing, what God, God's burden for you this morning is you would take this psalm, just like I would take this card, and then you would sit down with that psalm and you start writing your story on top of it and making it your own and praying it. You don't know how to pray? Here's your prayer book. Here's your prayer book. That's God's burden for you this morning, to map your voice onto the voice of the psalmist so that you would pray the psalms, personalizing them, making them your own. Now, how do you do this? How do we personalize the psalms? How, how do we pray the psalms? Well, the first thing you need to do is what Corey did last week. Do you remember? He looked at the heading of the psalm that he was preaching, Psalm 88, and if you, if you look at the headings of different psalms, you will see this. You will see the author of the psalm. Now, let me just tell you right now, Psalm 10 doesn't have that, 
Because actually Psalms 9 and 10 are considered one psalm. I'm just going to preach Psalm 10. But if you look at Psalm 9 and you read it it, on the top, the title, it says, To the choir master, according to Muth Laban, a psalm of David. Last week, it was a psalm of Haman the Ezrite. And, and the reason that's so important is when Corey shared with us that this psalm is from this guy Haman, and because you can study this in commentaries, Haman was very, very wise. Before the wisdom of Solomon was the wisdom of Haman, that gave me context when I read how Haman was complaining to God about his situation in life. It wasn't because of a lack of wisdom. It wasn't because of a lack of faith. It was actually a very wise individual who knew God and knew the covenant And it helped me understand that I can talk to God that way. So the first thing we need to do to pray a psalm is to understand who wrote the psalm. But then, then we want to map onto that psalm our experience. We want to try to understand what the psalm is saying, what kind of psalm it is, what kind of hallmark card we have here. And then we're mapping onto that psalm, my experience. So as we read Psalm 10, which we're about to do, I want you to pay attention. It's written by David 3,000 years ago. I want you to listen to it carefully. And if, if it begins to speak to you, if it begins to speak to your situation, good. Start writing in your Bibles or electronically making notes and saying, oh, yeah, that maps onto my experience. Oh, yeah, that maps onto what I'm going through. So that then you can take this psalm and pray it to the Lord. Psalm 10. Verse 1, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of his desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved throughout all generations. I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages. He, in hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed and sink down and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands, to you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. 
The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. How do you map this psalm onto your life? Well, have you experienced the injustice of prejudice? The pain of relational separation, the victimization of abuse, the shame of failure or belittlement from others, the fear of violence against you, the disorientation of crimes against you, or perhaps you've experienced an accident, the pain of illness, maybe persecution for your faith at work or at school, the shunning of friends or even their betrayal, maybe even family, the chaos of civil unrest or terrorism, the shock of financial collapse, the bondage of addictions or sins. See, all of those map onto this psalm. This psalm becomes intensely personal as you locate your circumstances in it and pray it to God who hears your prayers. Psalm 10 unfolds in four movements. These four movements are the psalmist saying, God, where are you? Second movement is, God, do you know my situation? Third, God, please help me. And fourth, God, you are king forever. Point one, God, where are you? Notice in verse one that David is crying out to God and saying, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Have you ever cried out to the Lord and asked him the same question? He goes on to say, why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Have you ever said, Lord, where are you? I cannot find you. Are you hiding? Don't you see what I'm going through? And in those moments of particular trial, trouble, dreams crushed, shame, fear, those are the moments when we're most often saying to God, where are you? The difference between that question being a question of faith, which I believe it is here from David, or a question of unbelief is the fact that you're going to God. The difference between faith and unbelief is to whom you are addressing that question. You see, faith, as we learned last week from Corey's message, keeps running to God over and over and over and over. And when he says, God, where are you? When he says, God, are you hiding? He has faith that God exists and God is there. He's just being honest. I'm hurting. I need you. Where are you? That question is unbelief when you're asking it to others. When you're bad-mouthing God to others. When you're saying God doesn't exist to others. Like the wicked person who said, where is God? He's not addressing that to God. He's saying that to others. He's, he's slandering God to others. So that question is definitely in bounds. And as we learned last week, that's a question that we need to go to God with. I mean, he knows you're thinking it anyways. Might as well articulate it to him. That is the very voice of faith, church. Point two. The voice of faith then says, God, do you know my situation? 
Verses 2 to 11, the psalmist David is describing his situation. It is a situation where the wicked are hotly pursuing the righteous. David is the king of Israel. He's representing God's people. David's voice in this psalm is very important. And David's voice is saying, God, your people are being taken advantage of by the wicked. Oh, my. Oh, my. Are the wicked going for it? By the way, you're telling God your situation or you're saying, God, do you know my situation? Not because you think God doesn't know your situation. It's not like God needs to hear from you about what you're going through. He already knows it. But it's so helpful for you to tell God what you're going through. In fact, I would say to you, write it down. Because you know what that reveals? It reveals far more about you than about God. Because when I describe to God my situation, and I write it down, and I read it back to myself, I go, whoa. (laughs) Wow. I did that last night. God and I were having it out. Do you know my situation? I was not expecting this. That text this morning, speaking of yesterday morning, are you aware of it? See, that's faith. And as I articulated it to God, it helped me to see my heart. Are you following me? It says more about you than God. It's helpful. Have you ever been to a psychiatrist? Don't raise your hand. Um, And 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 so when you go, what do they what do they what do they say to you? Explain to me your situation. And what happens to you when you explain your situation? It can be an enlightening moment. It it, it can be a moment where you're understanding who you are. When I receive counsel, normally a good counselor will say, Al, tell me what you're going through. And if it's a wise counselor, they don't interrupt me. They don't correct me, no matter the craziness that comes out of my mouth. And trust me, I do crazy very well. I do it loud. I do it long. I do it colorfully. But when I'm done, especially if I write it down, it helps me see how I'm seeing it. And then God and his love comes in and helps me to see it as he sees it. Do you see that? That's very important. So be honest with God. Write down your situation. He wants to hear you describe a situation. And as you look at the situation here in Psalm 10, you realize that there are some real situations going on here. There's pride. There's oppression. The wicked lurks like a lion ready to jump on the righteous. There's violence. There's slander. And at the root of all of it, look at verse 4b. At the root of all of it, it's all against God. Look at 4b. The wicked says, all his thoughts are, there is no God. You ever heard that one? You ever heard that one from your own mind? I have. Recently. Don't look at me so religiously. So have you. I mean, when, when things get bad, it's called the fight of faith, folks. Like, roll up your sleeves and get in the fight. Throw away the sanctimonious garbage and get in the fight. Yeah, sometimes I wonder. I'm a pastor. Is there a God? Don't you? If you're real? He wants to hear that. You understand that doesn't shake his faith in himself, right? You got that, okay? It's not like God suffers from a crisis of, you know, self-confidence or God does not have image issues, okay? He's God, right? Very secure in who he is. But, but isn't, it a, isn't this the fight of faith? 
It's been 10 years, Lord. It's been 20 years, Lord. It could be an illness. It could be finances. It could be a goal that you have in your life that you've tried and tried. It could be your marriage. It could be your children. It could be your wife. It could be your career. It could be your own heart. It could be sin issues. And you do it, and you try, and you pray, and you pray, and you pray. And what are you tempted to think? Where are you? I can't see you. (laughs) I know he believes in you and she believes in you and they're here every Sunday and I do believe in you, but oh Lord, I'm getting tired. That's okay. Don't you understand? That's faith. Because who are you asking it of? The God who you don't see and you're tempted to not believe, but you're asking him, right? So either that's faith or you're crazy. You're not crazy. David wasn't crazy. His people were being decimated. He was the king, and he's watching his nation being decimated. Crime was on, was on the rise. In fact, this may even be Jews doing it against Jews. It could have been apostate uh, Jews doing it to other Jews in the kingdom. They were stealing from each other. They were slandering each other. They were telling each other that you know God doesn't exist. They were mocking each other. They were murdering each other. They were, they were doing all that. And David's the king, and he's representing God. By the way, David's voice is very important, the writer. Your voice is very important. You map your voice onto David's voice. But guess whose voice is the most important? Christ's. Because Christ's voice is here. Because every psalm is fulfilled in Christ. David is a type of Christ. Christ's voice is very much seen here, heard here, excuse me. We, we hear Christ's voice, and when we hear Christ's voice, and we add our voice to that voice, and it suddenly becomes alive, and there's hope for you. And Jesus says, I exist. I'm a historical figure. I rose from the dead. And then the Holy Spirit is, is, is testifying in your heart and giving you hope in those moments where you think you're going crazy. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are speaking through the Psalms, and you're mapping your voice onto their voice and David's voice, and it becomes a, 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 just a... A cacophony of loud voices crying out to God. Kind of like worship this morning. That one song we sang was amazing. We were, I I don't know about you, I was shouting my brains out. And I have a bad voice, so sometimes I don't sing loudly because when I hear my voice, I go, oh. It's kind of like verbal, you know, bad breath, you know. It's like, oh. (laughs) So sorry, the person, Desi, poor Desi, you know. But you guys were singing so loudly. And like, and like, it's like we all, when you stop with the, with the instruments, and we, we, were, we all sang it in unison and then stop. And then in unison and stop. It was so cool. It was, it, was like, it was like I was just being carried along by the Spirit of God through the people of God. And man, in that moment, I'm going, oh, yeah, God exists. And that, by the way, that's why worship, that's why coming together every Sunday is so important. That's what it's meant to be, a picture of heaven. But that can happen in the Psalms. My voice, your voice, united with David's voice, mapping our experience onto God's experience, God's voice and Jesus' voice. So when the wicked say in in verse 4b, there is no God, or when the wicked says in verse 5, look at verse 5. The wicked says, Your judgments are out of his sight. His, his ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are, out, are on high out of his sight. Basically, the wicked is saying, God won't, his judgments won't touch me. I'm not going to be held accountable by God. Or when he says in verse 11, 
He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. You understand that the wicked is, is mocking the righteous. Oh, you believe in God? Well, I don't, see God, I don't see God helping you, and I just stole all your money. And I did violence to you and your family. I threw rocks at your house. And no, one can, no one's going to catch me, and no one's going to do anything. Hey, maybe your God's forgotten. Maybe your God's hiding. Does that map onto your experience? Right? You feel bullied by life itself. I think Corey mentioned this. Life can be hard. We have an enemy, and then just life. And we hear the voices saying, where's your God today? Oh, maybe he's forgotten you. Oh, friends, you're not on your own. He hasn't forgotten you. The psalmist is going to God. That's why he's explaining his circumstances. That's why he's telling God over and over. And as Corey said last week, and when you're done telling him, do it again and again and again and again and again and again. Don't ever tire because he's there. If my computer isn't working, I'm on the phone to the technical support department until it's fixed. When my toilet doesn't work, I'm calling Enrique in Hialeah because he's the plumber and I cannot fix my toilet. And I do not stop calling Enrique until it's fixed. So in life, that's why it says pray without ceasing. It's not like God needs to know what's going on with you, but that's the very faith that we have. Oh, God, hear me. I need, I need, God, where are you? This is happening, this is happening, this is happening. And it's funny, what will happen over time is even your descriptions of what's happening to you will change as you mature. It's still evil. It's some, sometimes it's pure evil that's happening to you. You're still being betrayed, maybe at work. you know. But the way you describe it starts changing. It's amazing. It's part of our growth in Christ. And God speaks to us. And God helps us. And, and a funny thing happens. As we read this description of evil in verses 2 to 11, we can be tempted to be self-righteous and think, this is what they're doing to me. I'm, I'm one of your righteous in Christ. But God, the voice of Jesus speaks to us at that moment. <laughs> and he speaks to us in verse 7. Look at verse 7. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. Does that verse sound familiar to anybody? Well, God had Paul quote that verse in Romans chapter 3, verse 14. Romans chapter 3, verse 14. And no time to study that in depth, but Romans chapter 3 tells all of us that we're wicked, apart from Christ. Romans chapter 3 is telling all of mankind that you are accountable before God. So yes, I can tell God that I'm being slandered, that I'm being lied about, that it's difficult, that they're cursing, and there's deceit, and they're oppressing me, and there's mischief, and there's iniquity. But as I'm doing that, I realize, oh my, it's under my tongue. So yesterday, I'm telling God how I feel betrayed by some people. 
and I'm letting him have it. Actually, Corey, it's your fault because you gave me permission to do this. <laughs> but, but doing it, Corey, brought me closer to God because in the past, I would just say, whatever. I would behave like a wicked, like, God, God's not interested in this one. God, you sit this one out. I'll just deal with this problem in my head. And I, and I was growing distant from God and a little, little angry. Last night, I was going at it with God. They're sowing division. They're, and and, I, was, and I, was, I was like letting them have it. Actually, I was cleaning the back area because we had all of our children and our eight grandchildren for breakfast yesterday. And, you know, eight grandchildren and breakfast. <laughs> and I'm cleaning. And I'm thinking. And I'm letting them have it. And suddenly, thank you, Jesus. The Lord just said, well, what about what you shared just a few hours ago to some people? And you named names. Was that dividing brothers? Don't. Ah. See, the voice of Jesus comes to me and says, but Al, I died for that sin. See, I need Jesus. I need a savior. I need to tell him what's going on. I need a refuge, both from my suffering, because I do think I was done wrong, okay? Just flat out. I think I was done wrong. Now, I'm not happy about it. Like Corey said, I don't understand it, and I'm not happy about it. But, oh, friends, if I just look in the mirror, I'm doing wrong. I'm doing wrong. I'm doing the same thing. I don't like being done to me. And then I find Jesus as my refuge. He's my refuge from suffering. He's my refuge from sin. And, by the way, sin is the worst of those two. Because the judgment for my sin is God's wrath. Jesus died for me on the cross. And my prayer starts becoming real, and I start becoming more humble, and I cry out to God, and God says to me, Al, you're not alone. You're not alone. And that's what happens to David. Look at the transition. Look at verse 11. He, the wicked, says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Remember how David began the psalm. God, where are you? Are you hiding? Verse 11, the wicked saying, yeah, he's hiding. I'm mocking you. He's forgotten. I get away with it all. Look at verse 12. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. What does it say next? Forget not the afflicted. He hasn't forgotten you. I don't know what you're going through, but I'm telling you, I'm here to tell you right now, God has not forgotten you. He has not. You may not fully understand what he's doing, but he hasn't forgotten you. He never will. Because, see, David knew his God. He knew the covenant that God had with Israel, and he knew the character of God. And let me just tell you right now, God has not forgotten you. You know why I can say that? Because in the New Testament, in Romans 8.32, Romans 8.32, it says, He who did not spare his own son, and that's for you, but delivered him up for us all, the believers, how will he, God the Father, not also with him, God the Son, freely give you through God the Holy Spirit all things? 
That's a promise. David preached this two weeks ago, Psalms 42 and 43. God keeps his promise of present, his presence. Now, it's a fight to believe that when things aren't going well. Let's be honest. When I get the diagnosis from the doctor, when people you thought, you know, whatever, treat you whatever, when the stock market crashes, I don't know, I hope it doesn't, but if it does, <laughs> when you don't get accepted into the kinds of things you're trying to get, and you go, what? What's going on, Lord? But, oh, friends, I'm here to tell you, God is talking to you right now. I won't forget you. I gave my son for you. And therefore, that moves the psalmist then to ask God for help. I've spent a lot of time on those first two points, so I'm going to go a little more quickly through these last two points. The psalmist asked God for help, verse 12. He says, oh God, forget not the afflicted. Verse 13, look what he says. The psalmist, David, is asking God, why does the wicked renounce God? Why does the wicked say in his heart, you will not call to account? And then God, I believe, God the Holy Spirit, I believe this is a pointing to Jesus Christ. God says in verse 14, but you, but you do see God. David's saying, but you do see. I believe that. For you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. Oh, the wicked says God won't see and I can get away with it. God says, no, he can't. I take him into my hands in my timing. To you, the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked. That just means stop the wicked's power to do something, right? My arm is representing power to do. Break his arm so he can't do wickedness anymore, an evildoer. Call the wickedness to account till you find none. He confesses you do see God. God, you see, God, you haven't forgotten me. We're not alone. And the Lord answers us. And the Lord gives us help. And he says he's going to help the fatherless and the wicked. Excuse me, the fatherless and the orphan. That's just a representative of those who are helpless. If you feel helpless, you're exactly in the right place for God to help you. That's who he helps. He helps you in Christ. And as a result, David, the psalmist, worships God. Point four, God, you are king forever and ever. Every prayer ends with this declaration of who God is, a reminder to ourselves and others that God is king, he is sovereign, and God is good, a reminder that God keeps his promises, his presence, his providence. That means he rules over all for his glory and our good and his pursuit. Even when we're clinging to that wall like Corey had us last week, Corey's had us suspended on this wall for the entire sermon, just, you know, about ready to fall off, you know. And even if we fall, guess what? He grabs us. Even if we run from him, as David said two weeks ago, he pursues us. And he's faster than we are. Plus, he knows where we're going before we know where we're going. Pretty much impossible to get away from him. Thank God. As a friend of mine once said, thank God for God. (laughs) Yes. When I can't, he does. And when I even don't want to, he pursues me. That's good news. But what makes us really sing is our Lord Jesus Christ. If you noted in Corey's message and in David's message, they both ended up with Christ. And we see Christ here. Look at verse 15, 16, excuse me. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. This is pointing to Jesus. It's actually pointing back into how God judged the wicked nations when he brought Israel into the promised land. Hey, I took care of the wicked then. I'm going to take care of them now. 
but it's pointing to Jesus where it says in Philippians 2, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Even the arrogant, wicked person that said, I can do whatever I want and I'll get away with it. One day he will bow or she will bow. They will bow their knees to Christ. O Lord, verse 17, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. God will strengthen your heart this morning. He will strengthen your heart this morning. He will. He will. You will incline your ear. God hears you. And here's where we see Christ. To do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. God will pursue the wicked and he will break his arm and he will call wickedness to account till he finds none. And the place where God judged wickedness was at the cross in Jesus Christ. This is where God poured his wrath out on Jesus and judged wickedness. This is where we find help. This is where we see God's mercy and kindness. He judges wickedness in Christ. He gives help to the helpless and the broken and the weak and the orphan and the fatherless because of what Christ did. David was preaching Jesus here to a nation that was oppressed. He's preaching Jesus to us. And we cling to him. And he will help us. Here's the appeal. The appeal is to pray the Psalms. Remember I told you about these Hallmark cards? Okay. Um, This is one from one of my children. What they wrote was precious to me. When I read it this morning again, I, I was so moved. I'm so grateful. Great card. I enjoyed the card. It began to sing when I, re- when I read this chicken scratch right here. But you know what? Sometimes we can't even do one of these to God. You know what we end up doing? What one of my grandchildren gave me recently. <laughs> you might, it says abuelo. This is the card. This is sometimes all we can do. We grab a piece of paper and we scribble, Father. And stain with our tears. And we're pounding. We're scratching. Sometimes words, I mean, we're just like writing in red marker. Or as Corey mentioned last week, we're just drawing emojis. Whatever face. But can I encourage you to do that? Do do a prayer journal. Write out your thoughts. It'll do a couple of things. It'll show you how you grow in Christ. It'll remind you of how God's met your needs. But this is how you personalize the Psalms. And God loves it when you come to him that way. Jesus knows what you're going through. Receive his sympathy. Well, what do you mean Jesus knows? He's God. How would he know? Oh, you want to hear Jesus' voice? Listen to this. Father, let this cup pass from me. That's when Jesus received a big fat no from God. He knows what that feels like. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken so that you never would be. No matter what, you're his. I'm thirsty. 
Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. It is finished. Into your hands I commit my spirit. That's how we know that God will never leave us. Jesus fulfilled justice so we can trust God. Friends, the wicked may have their momentary flash of success and evil and so-called glory, but God has the final say. Follow the example of our Lord, and I'll leave you with this text, Hebrews 5, 7. What did Jesus do? This is speaking of Jesus. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears. Let me pause there. I was thinking of Corey's word. Sometimes these prayers are just wails with running mascara. Great picture. Nose running. I mean, just... Not a pretty sight. Man, go for it. Do it. To him who was able to save him from death. Wait a second. I thought Jesus died. Yes, he did. Jesus didn't deserve death, but you and I did. So he died for us. And then he rose from the dead and he was heard because of his reference. Jesus is righteous. We are heard because we're in Christ. His resurrection power is our power in the midst of powerlessness. And that is our hope. So let us pray. Worship team, please join me up front. Father, we pray that you would help us, teach us, Lord, that you would give us the grace to cry out to you, Lord, oh God, have mercy, Lord God. Lord, for those right now who would feel like, I'm just so tired, I'm so weary, I don't know if I can cry out to you anymore, give them the grace to do that, Lord God. Lord, may they see you in all of their grace, all the grace that you offer in Christ. May they hear your voice, Jesus, on the cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And may they hear you say, I will never forsake you, my son or my daughter, because I forsook my son. He took your penalty. There's nothing you can do as my chosen one to cause me to forsake you. Trust me, Lord, for that one that is just dark in their heart. They're asking you, where are you? Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, open the, the eyes of their heart and mind. Spirit of God. Spirit of sonship. Give them that cry from their heart. Abba, Father, Daddy. Where are you, Daddy? Lord, we see these pictures of children that are lost at big sporting events and they're crying. And then we see the picture when the parent finds the child and hugs them and that child just melts into the the parent's arms. We just say, God, where are you? And Father, you run and you find us. And we just rest in your arms because you gave your son for our salvation. How will you not also with him freely give us all things? Lord, have mercy on your people. Lord, hear our cry now as we sing this to you. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. In Jesus' name.